There you have it. That was Sports Camp this week. Praise God. That was tons of fun, a lot of work, but very, very exciting. Good to see what God did through our church. If you are brand new to Valley Lights Church today, just want to give you a special welcome. And, and maybe, maybe you found out about our church because of the camp or because of flyers that we put up recently for that. So if you're brand new, I just want to say welcome. And if you are a volunteer at the camp, maybe your face appeared in that video. Um, if you are a volunteer, thank you so much. That was really incredible to work together as a team. This really was a big effort. Um, some of you volunteered all five nights. So, you know, giving up one night of the week would be a pretty big deal. And some, and some of you were able to do one night. That was awesome. But, man, multiple nights is amazing, especially when many of you have jobs during the day. And uh, so this, is really, this really was a big win for our church, to put on a quality event, to serve our community, and to do it with excellence. It was really well done. So I feel like a very grateful pastor. Um, you, you all worked together, blessed many families by your hard work. And we, and we bonded. It was, a, it was a bonding experience for us working together. So that, that was fun. That was a highlight. Big win for all of us. And another reason that today is special, as you know, is it's Father's Day. And you may think about dads, and you might think about some of the special skills that dads tend to have. I don't know. I, I, bet, there, I bet there's dads in the room that have some special skills, probably some breakfast-making skills. There's probably some guys that know how to make some bacon in here really well some pancakes, or, or, you know, some people, one of the skills that dads are credited with often, some people call it dad jokes. I prefer skilled in the craft of humor. <laughs> any, any dads here skilled in that craft of humor? I, I bet you are. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. You know, you, know you, can just, you can just own it if it's you. Another skill that dads tend to have are, are good reflexes. You know, if you're, if you're a dad and you got little kids, you got to have fast reflexes. And so I want to show you a video of some some dad reflexes, some last minute saves. So check out this. That's, that's a pretty good moment right there. If you catch a flying baseball from foam plate, that's pretty amazing. See, holding his beer, he's like, yes. <laughs> that's me. Dad's got some great reflexes. You know the one with the, the, the car driving out of control down the hill? It was the dad that pushed them down the hill, I will say that. But you know, he was there to save the day. None of us dads are perfect, but you know, we've got some skills and, and sometimes we make some last minute saves to win the day. And if you've ever spent much time around church, you know that God is sometimes referred to as our Father. 
So on, a fa- on Father's Day, we, we maybe think about our Heavenly Father. And if you've decided to, be, to become a follower of Jesus, then that means you are a son or a daughter of God. And you're, you're welcome into his family. And uh, you, now, now that means you have a good spiritual father. But sometimes you might wonder, man, why doesn't God have better reflexes like some of these super dads? You know, it's like, okay, so these dads, they save, they save their kids from trouble. And, you know, that video is about normal guys. If God is God and he's so powerful and he's so big, why can't he stop bad things from happening to us? Like those dads on the video, stop bad things from happening to those kids. That's why we're, we're actually starting a new message series today called Why God? Why God? And I want to look at the question today. Why is God letting bad things happen to me? If, he, if he's our father, if he's our spiritual heavenly father, why does he let bad things happen to me? And there's, there's some common questions that we tend to ask. Maybe these mull around in your head. Maybe you've actually asked them out loud or you've, you've asked them to other people and you're in it's you know, if you don't have a very good answer to that question, then it can be a struggle to trust God. Like, man, I'm not so sure I can trust him. I did a Google search to find out what are some of the questions that people tend to ask. So I typed in Google three, three words. Why does God? You know how it fills things in for you? You won't be able to read this probably, but some of the top questions, boom, first one is, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God hate me? These are, so I think, I think it populates based on some of the most common repeated questions that people ask. These are really good questions. These are really good questions, and they're, they're actually important questions to ask because at some point in your life, maybe you've wrestled with them, or maybe you will. And I will say there's some really good answers to those questions. So today, I want to answer, I, I actually don't want to tackle the, the question why does God allow bad things to happen in the world? I want to focus a, a little bit more personal than that. I want, to, I want to ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to me? Why does God allow bad things to happen to you? Like in your life, not just in the world in general. There's, there's good answers to that question too. So think for a moment, maybe as you're just listening, you can jog, jog in your memory. What, what's something in your life that's not working that great? Something in your life where there's trouble. I don't, know if the, I don't know if there's anything that makes you feel stressed, things that make your blood pressure go up. I don't know if there's been any moments recently where you've asked, why, God? Come on. Why? Why, why is this happening? And, you're, and maybe you, you, at some point you've struggled to make sense out of things. Like, or, or maybe you've asked this question. Why can't this just be over? Oh, like, man, like, why, why can't this just be easier? Have you ever asked any questions like that at all in your life? There's this, those, those have come up. So if you've ever thought that, I want to peel back some of the layers. What's going on? What is happening? And we're going to look at some of the reasons why you might be going through difficulty. And if you consider an onion, as Shrek says, what, what do onions have? <laughs> layers. Onions have layers. The sources of suffering in our lives are like the layers of onion. There's, it's, it's not usually just one thing. There's maybe multiple things happening. And we, we try to make sense out of the pain that we're feeling. And so, you know, a common thing is to blame God. I very, very quickly, we humans go to 
the source. Like, why God? And so we blame him. But then we might wonder, man, did I, did I do something to deserve this? Uh, did, did I sin in some way? Am I, like, am I bringing this on myself? Or am I being punished? Or maybe you think about God, you think about yourself, and maybe you think about other evil forces in the world. Like, what's going on? Is, is Satan attacking me? Is, like, is there evil spirits messing me up right now? And it's really, really natural for us to try to figure out why, why, why is this happening? And, and more importantly, why can't it just be over? What is the source? We, t- we tend to think that there's just one source, and we can just nail it down, like, all right, who's behind this? Who's the cosmic force behind my problem? We, we, we can nail it down, but I think, based on what we see in Scripture, really, rather than just being one thing, there, there tends to be numerous factors rolled together. It's really important to understand how this works. There's different layers to our suffering and our trouble, and the Bible is God's Word to us, and it provides some greater insight. And so we're going to look at, I'm going to show you uh, a bunch of verses from the Old and the New Testament where people have trouble. They got problems. And uh, so if, if we're to look at the innermost layer in the source of our problems, I'm going to say it's stupidity. If you go to the center, a lot of times we just do something stupid. You know that guy, that dad that was like letting the cart go down the hill? If, uh, if that didn't turn out so well, you might just say that was that was stupid that <laughs> you did that. But, you know, it worked out okay. But there's an example of this in the book of 2 Kings. I'm going to reference it. There's one guy that borrows an axe. He doesn't tighten the axe head down. And he's chopping, and it falls off, and it goes into the river. Well, in those days, I think tools were pretty expensive. And to borrow an axe head would, was a kind of a big liability. And so he can't, he can't find the axe head in the river. It's probably a really expensive tool, which probably puts him in debt. So he goes to the prophet at the time, and the prophet prays, throws some sticks in the water, and causes the iron axe head to float to the surface. Iron normally doesn't float, but with the prophet, it could. But we have this story where this man's in trouble, quite a, quite a bit of debt. He's got a problem on his hand, probably very stressed out. So what, what was the source of his problem? Well, it was, it was foolish not to tighten the axe head down all the way. Uh, not particularly sin. I don't, don't think he crossed any moral boundaries. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes, you know, you're hammering a nail into a board, and uh, someone calls your name, you look the other way, pow, get your thumb, like, oh, why, why are you suffering? Well, was, that was stupid. You've got to keep your eyes. You've got you to look at where you're going. It wasn't particularly a sinful move. Some of you, if you've been around Valley Lights for a few months, you know that when we first moved into Rio Norte in the beginning of January, I drove our church trailer into a parking structure, and, and I ripped a hole in the, our cargo trailer, 26-foot trailer. So I just ripped, it crunched aluminum and wood and wiring and uh, bent the metal frames. And this was, you know, I was like really excited to get here, and this was, this was a major downer for me. And I'm like, man. Like, so, so why, why did this happen? I drove into a parking structure. That, that was, I should have looked at where I was, where, I, where the spatial awareness, it was just dumb. I wasn't, I wasn't out of bounds morally. And this is just one example of many times in my life where I, I now have a big problem. This was, this was a, an expensive, time-consuming, stressful problem that took months to fix. A few seconds of stupidity. And uh, I've, I've done that before. I have, I have other problems in my life that come from making bad choices, not thinking through things. So we are, you and I, if you want to admit it, we're fallen human beings, 
and we, we do stupid things sometimes, and that causes our suffering. But that's just, that's just one, one thing at the center. If, if we go to the next layer, the next layer is sin. And so this is, this is when we, we do cross lines morally. We, we go against something that God has said to do, or um, we, we do something he says not to do, or we fail to move forward in faith in an area that he says. And sin is any kind of wrongdoing, anything outside of God's commands. And so my sin, it can produce real trouble for me. If I get into, if I get into sexual immorality, that could set up for possible disease. That could set up for blackmail. That could create all kinds of relational conflict. Family could be torn apart. Ministry and profession destroyed. And that would be damage from sin. Or, or something else. I could get angry. And I could strike somebody. And what happens that maybe, maybe after that I get sued. And it costs me my, my financial standing. There's, there's all kinds of ways that we can sin. We can cross the line. And we just we pay we pay the consequence. This happens quite frequently in relationships, by the way. We we sin against each other, and a lot actually a lot of the conflict in your life. I don't know if you have conflict with anybody in your house or anybody at work. A lot of the conflict we experience is from our sin. We do we do we say things we should not have said. We take action out of selfishness or out of pride, and then it creates all kinds of problems. So my sin can cause my suffering. My sin can cause the suffering of other people as well. So let's say I do cross the line. Man, how's that going to impact my family? Now my family is suffering because of my sin. So there's, there's, a, there's a moment when, just one example from, from sin causing great consequences for one guy in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, it says, On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. So Herod, this guy, is getting all puffed up at the praise. It says, At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. That's, a, that's an intense, brutal, sad end. Um, I think there was a, a pattern of breaking God's laws up to this point, but there was this real pride and a disregard for God that led to a lot of suffering in his life that ended his life. So our sin, our sin can cause us suffering, and actually you can experience suffering from the sin of other people as well. So maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but other people are sinning. Let's say, uh, why don't you say we're in a world that is, con we're just connected with human beings. We're relating to people all the time. Their sin impacts me. Maybe you're being mistreated at work. Man, that that's not, doesn't feel good. There carries all kinds of problems. Maybe, maybe someone robbed something out of your vehicle, or your house, and you think, man, why, God, like, why did this happen? Why did I just get robbed? Why am I being treated this way? Maybe I did something to deserve being mistreated, or or maybe I did something stupid and left valuables right in plain sight in a tempting place. But either way, the sin of other people in my life impact me maybe on a daily basis. Jesus was very familiar with this. He was very impacted by the sin of others. If you look at Acts 4, it says, For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against the Holy Servant Jesus. So you've got, you've got, worldly, you've got um, leaders of the government, you've got normal people, even some people that were supposed to be God-fearing people, all came together in their sin, against Jesus. It says, they came against Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand 
in your will had predestined to take place. Jesus got killed. He got beaten and killed because of the sin of other people. Partly, there's other reasons. That's just one layer. So we've got, we've got this where we run into sin, our sin and other people's. The next layer of suffering above that is the curse. Now, if, you, if we talk about the curse in biblical terms, that this refers to the moment when sin first entered the world. God designed a perfect garden for mankind to live in, but Adam, the first man, sinned, and when he did, it opened the floodgates to all kinds of problems in our world. So mankind rebelled against God, so God cursed all of creation. And it's still, it's still under a curse right now. So some of the, some of the ways that the curse shows up in our lives, there's, we've got relationship problems, because there wasn't before, there wasn't before the curse. There's pain in childbirth. There's thorns and briars appeared. Weeds, for the very first time, appeared. And probably mosquitoes, too, came at that moment when the curse was struck the planet. Trouble entered into the world. Creation itself now has a kind of twist to it, like a, a, a bad kink and a twist in it. So our world, the world that we live in, is bound to the law of decay. Things fall apart over time. Is there anything in your life that falls apart over time? Maybe, maybe your car breaks down. Maybe your body wears out over time and, and you feel the effects of that. Your health, it wears down. Even, not, not just that, a whole creation breaks down. You know, things that, that are around us, even empires, countries, nations, kingdoms break down and fall apart. Everything in our physical world decays and wears out, and there's problems everywhere because of the curse. One example of this that you run into frequently probably is sickness. Sickness is, um, that entered the world because of the curse. In the Bible, you can read about this. In the New Testament, there were a few guys doing some really good work for the Lord. They were helping spread the gospel, start new churches in different places. And one guy who got sick, Trophimus, he had to be left behind to recover. So they're going out on this big project, and they're like, this guy's too sick. We can't take him. We just got to leave him behind. That's a major bummer. <laughs> That's sickness. There's, I, I think there's probably people home right now because they're sick. They're not here. There's another guy, Epaphroditus, who nearly died because of a serious sickness, and he was doing work for Jesus. He, he was out there and really sacrificing a lot, and he got sick. Man, sickness, it really slows things down. What, like, man, isn't it, so, isn't it so frustrating when you get sick and you can't do that thing? You can't go, like, man, why did God let me get sick? Why did God let my body break down? Because of the curse, there is disease and sickness and accidents that would not have been there otherwise. Also in creation, because of the curse, there's storm. There's natural problems and disasters. Bad weather, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. We live in a world with natural disasters and problems. If you look at what Paul writes about the world in Romans chapter 8, he says, For creation was subjected to futility. He's referring to the curse. Not willingly, not, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from bondage to decay. Wait, that's a good thought. Creation is going to be released from this law of decay, where there won't be sickness and there won't be problems and thorns and things breaking down. Creation will be set free 
from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. One day, the curse will be done away with. That's something to look forward to, not just on the planet, but on, your, on our bodies too. God has intended for our bodies to go on forever with no breakdown, no pain, just um, imperishable, incorruptible. We're not there yet. You, pro I don't, you probably don't need me to tell you, your body's not there yet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite corruptible right now. But imagine that. No more sickness, no more storms, no more decay, no more breakdown. In the meantime, we get sick because there's germs, there's viruses, there's things in our world that should not be there. So sometimes we have problems, not necessarily because of our stupidity or even necessarily because of sin, because of the curse, and we run into problems. There's another layer to our suffering even beyond that. This, gets, this has even greater influence, and that one is Satan. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about Satan, but he's, he's a major player in your life. And the way that he, he gets involved is he can act through the curse. He can act through this sin of other people. He can actually tempt and motivate people to attack us. He can actually cause things like sickness and a storm to happen. And he can attack us directly as well. And you see a lot of this coming together in the book of Job. Where there's this really fascinating story where Satan goes to God, he gets permission from God to strike Job's possessions. And the way he does it is, first, is he causes a windstorm to happen. So this windstorm comes while all of his adult children are having a feast, and they all die, and they die under this building. So imagine all of his kids, that's years of raising a family, gone overnight, resulting in tremendous grief. And it happens through a windstorm, though. You couldn't, see, you couldn't see Satan, but Satan caused this windstorm to happen. Then several, several servants are attacked by raiders. Job was a wealthy man, he had a lot of servants. They're attacked by raiders who take the camel flocks, the sheep, and all, all kinds of other things, and they kill all the servants but one. And this one, the one that was left, comes to report. And so now we have, we have Satan attacking Job causing death, but Satan uses the sin of other human beings, raiders. He instigates and tempts people to sin, and they come and prey on Job's possession. So now Job is attacked by, by windstorm, by evil people, but Satan is pulling the strings. Chapter 2, Job doesn't cave or give up on God. It's incredible. It's amazing. Satan gains permission. He, he goes back to God. He gets even more permission from God to strike Job's body. Up until this point, God said, you can't, touch, you can't touch Job. You can touch his stuff and his family. But Satan does now get permission to attack his body. Although God says you can't take his life. So God draws a boundary. Satan's not in charge, so Satan has to even follow what God says. So Satan strikes, and Job is covered with nasty, painful sores. Just sitting there in pain, oozing, stinking, just... People wouldn't even want to be in the same room. He just stinks so bad. So his own, his own wife says, Job, you should curse God and die. <laughs> real, real encouraging, <laughs> real uplifting. So she says, but, but you know what? She's like, you lost everything. Your kids are all dead. Your body is nearly destroyed. We don't even want to be around you because you're just so disgusting right now. But Job hangs in there with God. It's incredible. God eventually 
restores everything to Job twice over. God does very good to Job. But you know what? Satan works through. He works through other people. He works through the curse, through the storm, and he even attacked Job directly. But Satan had to go to God for permission to strike. And behind it all, God had good purposes for Job ultimately. There were some things in Job's life that God wanted to do that resulted in tremendous good for him and his descendants. Satan was just trying to destroy, but God was using it. You know, and so that, that actually goes, this will bring us to the, the biggest layer that covers all of these sources. The biggest layer above it all is God. God is a source of our suffering. It's because God is ultimately in charge of everything. And if something devastating happens to us, it's because God has granted permission for that to happen. Or he's allowed it to happen, or he designed it to happen, or he willed that it would happen. There's a real stabilizing verse in Romans chapter 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So if, it, if God is saying he's going to work all things together for good, that means everything. It means totally everything. God takes the awful things in our life and he brings them together to bring good out of it. But some of it, you're like, what? so why does he do that? Why doesn't he just do, why doesn't he just, just why, how about just the good? How about like the good minus the bad? Just go straight to the good first. Well, there's a few reasons for that. There's, I have listed just three. There's more. But one, one reason is that God punishes sin. This is one of the reasons that he allows suffering to happen. In Amos, which is in the Old Testament, God says, Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. If a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? There's numerous examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament where God punishes sin. And when you look into the New Testament, some, in, in um, Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about God's discipline, which actually leads to our benefit and our blessing as well. Some, some, sometimes we're, we're running into trouble because he's correcting us, causing good things to grow in our life. Another reason that he allows suffering is to bless his people. Now, this, this sort of feels confusing. How does how is, how is suffering become a blessing? It's a real fascinating story about Joseph in the book of Genesis. And Joseph is a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then later he got sent to prison unjustly. And then in due time, God elevated him in Egypt to become the prime minister of Egypt. So Joseph is in this situation where he had, he had this, this cascade of just awful things happening. You know, it's like something bad happens, like, oh, it get any, couldn't get any worse than this. Well, it gets worse. It just keeps getting worse and worse for years until he, he's in this position where he, gets, he finally gets promoted and elevated. Second highest command in all of Egypt, which is the strongest, most powerful nation at one point. And Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery the first time, they, they come to him and they're scared of him now because, man, this guy is so powerful. And they're, they're terrified that, like, what is, what is Joseph, Joseph going to do now that he's in this elevated position? And Joseph says, hey, listen, you guys, you don't get it. You, you did this to me, okay? You threw me to pit and threw me to sleep. You, you sold me, and you meant it for evil. Your purposes were evil for me, but God meant it for good so that many people could be saved. One of my favorite verses in Genesis 
Genesis 50, 20. He tells them, this is, this is directly what he says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What happened was God positioned Joseph so that he could handle a huge national emergency and huge numbers of people were saved from famine, from all kinds of disaster. Even, even Joseph's own family was saved. Their lives were saved because of the position that Joseph was in. So there's this, if you, if you kind of, if you look at the first few chapters of Joseph's life, you're like, man, this is like, this is a sob story. This is awful. Who would want to learn from this? You, you have to go to the end, though. You have to read all the way through the rest. So if you, if you think about the sequence, and maybe, maybe think about yourself. Think about when things go bad, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse. This is what happened. First, he was sold into slavery, and he was in a position where nobody, nobody knew to come rescue him. It was said that he was killed. So they, lied, they sold him, and then they lied about it. So he's in a prison, no hope of escape. God promoted him to manage a household. It's like looking up for a second, but then he got unjustly accused of uh, being improper with a woman, and then he was thrown into prison. It's like, oh! <laughs> He's just sitting there. How long do you think he sat? He's just sitting in a stinking prison. Nothing good to eat, nothing good to sit on, nothing comfortable, around rough people probably. What do you think about, he thought about all day? Do you think he ever had those why God questions as he's just sitting there? Suffering for years. And then someone promises to bail him out. Like, listen, hey, I'm going to put a good word in for you. I'm going to get you out of here. That person forgot. <laughs> so they left him hanging. So, jo so Joseph, man, he's just thinking, how, how, many, how many years do I need to be beaten down by things that feel so unfair? How long do I have to be beaten by these circumstances in life? You know, God was doing something through all of it. God was crafting and shaping some things in Job, in his faith, in his trust, breaking down pride so that he would truly, humbly trust the Lord so that when he finally was elevated, he had tremendous influence for good. So many people were blessed through him. So that's why we say one of the reasons God allows suffering is to lead to tremendous blessing for us and for other people in the long run. So that means if, if we think God truly wasn't involved in the story of Joseph, then God will let bad people do th bad things to you and me. And through it, he'll bring good out of it. It may happen over years. It actually, we may have to wait many, many years before the good comes. One more reason that I'll, I'll cite here. One reason that God allows suffering is for the display of his own glory. There's a story in the letter, the letter from John, and it talks about, here's, here's what it says, as he was passing by, as Jesus, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. So Jesus walked by, and there's, a, there's a, a blind man. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're, they're actually asking the same questions. They're like, why? Like, why? God, why is this happening? We're trying to figure out the source of this man's suffering. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Jesus performs an incredible miracle that puts God's glory on display. And the man is just, the man rejoices. He's filled with joy. He said, once I was blind, but now I see. And there was, there was great praise for God. 
So you've, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and guess that you've already gone through some suffering in, in your own life. You can maybe identify some of the sources. Maybe if you look at these five sources, stupidity, sin, the curse, Satan, and God. Very often, Scripture thinks about the cause of suffering differently than the way we do. We want to say it was just that thing or it was just this. Other times, it's multi-layered and concentric. A lot of times when we're suffering, maybe, maybe one of those sources will dominate, but it could be that everyone is involved. Maybe Satan is attacking you and he's using sin or the curse. Maybe some of your own sin is wrapped up in there as well. And over it all, God is orchestrating things to happen. These are a few of the big reasons that God allows us to suffer. In the Bible, we've got countless stories of people who experience suffering. And they walk through pain for all kinds of reasons. Like Job and Joseph, it was a blend. In Job's life, it was a blend. Perhaps all those things. So if I were, if I were to sum up in a concise answer to the question, why does God let bad things happen to me? For followers of Jesus... The answer is God will bring good out of the bad. It's very, that's like a very simple, that's like the simplest, like boil it down answer. But that's drawing especially from Genesis 50:20 and Romans 8:28. So what this means is if you follow Jesus, if he's your Lord, your pain is producing something good. It doesn't feel good. You know, it's not, it's not that you're, you're in pain and you're suffering and, and it's that God just somehow missed it. Like, oh, he went to, like, get the save, but, like, he, he missed and he miffed it. Like, oh, now he's trying to, like, recover the fumble. That's not how he works. It's not like, oh, he's, gonna, he'll, he's like, I'll make it up to you. I'm sorry you're suffering. I'm going to smooth it out over later. He actually wants us to walk through the suffering. If you really believe what the Bible says... Okay, you Christians, if you're a Christian here, if you really believe what the Bible says, then you know you will be better off with the pain than having never gone through it. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. But there's a real, there's a real danger, though. If we, man, in between the, the, the moment of the pain that we feel and the suffering and the time when we see what God does through it, if it's a long time, we might, our faith might flag. Our faith might fail. There's a real danger that we stop trusting him. If you're, if you're, in, the, if you're in the position where you're, you're walking through the pain and the suffering right now, but you haven't quite seen what God's doing through it, can you trust him? Can you trust that he'll be good? He wants to know if you'll trust him. So this, though, this, this idea here only applies to followers of Jesus, from what I can see in Romans 8.28. If you have not yet made him your Lord, if you've not submitted to Jesus, and you said, every slice of my life, you're in charge of now. If you've never done that, there's no guarantee that your pain will produce anything good. It might all be for nothing. In Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So that means, if that's true, man, there, there's, there's a compelling reason. Man, I've got to, and how do I figure out how to line my life up with Jesus? Jesus died on the cross for you and me. He endured a greater level of pain and suffering than we'll ever know in order to set us free from the effects of our own stupidity, to free us from our own sin, to free us from the effects of Satan. 
and the curse and to bring us into complete wholeness with God. So if you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet someone who says, Jesus is my Lord, I can tell you one good thing about your pain, at least at the moment. It has a tendency to wake you up. Our pain has a tendency to make us start asking questions. Because maybe, maybe, maybe I wasn't really thinking about God all that much until the bad things happened, and now, now I'm thinking about God. You know, I'm not feeling too great about God in the moment, but maybe I'm starting to think about it. And I hate to say it, but it's that way for me too. Sometimes it takes some pain to wake me up. Sometimes I need a slap in the face to pay attention to start seeing things clearly. There was a time recently where I was, I was having a lot of conflict with a person, and I just remember thinking, and it was going on, and I just thought, man, I, this is, like, I hate this. Like, this, is, this has been awful. Like, why can't, we just have, why can't I just have peace? And I'm just, I'm asking God questions. And God spoke to me, and he said, um, well, in the, in the moment, it was for discipline, that I need, there were some things in my character, in the way that I was approaching the conflict, it was very destructive. And God was grinding some things out of me. And I thought, in the moment, I was, I was feeling bitter and resentful about the pain I was walking through. And I didn't like it, and I wanted it to stop. And I said, God, just, just, can, you just, can you just give me peace? And uh, that was not a prayer he answered immediately. And I began, over the next few months, I began to see how I needed to grow in some, some things that he talks very clearly about. Kindness, gentleness, humility, compassion, sympathy. And I began to approach that relationship of conflict differently, and a blessing started flowing. And the relationship began to get so refreshing and good. And I thought, man, if I didn't, man, praise God for, this, for the suffering, because now we're, we're, in a such, we're in a better place. Like, the delight and the joy of the relationship is far greater than the hodgepodge way that I had it before. And I thought, I can't, I can't resent God's suffering that he leads me through. I do, I do trust him that he's good. I believe that the pain I go through is going to result in things being better than if I had no pain at all. So for all of us, it's, 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 the suffering is painful. It's really hard to make sense out of it in the moment. So what do you do? I'll, ra- I'll wrap with, with a few recommendations. If you're, if you're suffering, first thing is refuse to get hard-hearted toward God. And this will be a challenge. This is really hard. The pain tempts us to turn our backs on God. And we say, why, God? And that question sometimes has a bitter poison in it. We say it like, like there's poison on our tongues. Like, why, God? Maybe things get so bad, maybe things get so bad that you wish you were dead. That happens. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe things get so bad you wish you were dead. That happens, right? You guys ever had that? The enemy wants to see darkness closing over us. We get so hard-hearted and so bitter towards God that all of a sudden just the darkness comes and swallows us up. And the enemy, Satan wants to see us succumb to that bitterness and depart from God totally. So we have to refuse to get hard-hearted towards the God who created us. The next thing we got to do is to trust God fully. Recommend memorizing Genesis 50:20 or Romans 8:28. I can say if, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, my life would be much more full of pain and confusion and hopelessness. I know that. 
I know for sure. And I would be so bold to say that anyone who is currently an unbeliever, not, quite a, you know, not, not yet a follower of Jesus, I would be so bold to say that you probably walk through a much greater level of pain and confusion than followers of Christ do. And if you would like to reduce the amount of pain and confusion in your life, you might consider turning to Jesus. He begins breaking the power of suffering. He gives us eternal life so that our ultimate hope is not in things being peachy. Our ultimate hope is being with God in heaven for eternity. Which is why the next thing is to endure the difficulty with hope. There's a verse that has been um, real helpful to me. It says, uh, 1 Peter, you read from 1 Peter chapter 1, and I love this chapter. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, sober-minded, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, you know, there's a real temptation for me. Like, I, like I, my story of like just wanting there to be peace and the, like the conflict to be over, it's almost like I was setting my hope in my life just to start going better. That's like a, not a good hope thing. That's not a good thing to hope for because there's going to be problems and suffering. But if I, if I do this, if I set my hope completely, which means totally, 100%, all my weight, I'm completely hoping on what's coming in heaven, my salvation in Christ. Now that is something stable. So endure the difficulty with hope. And then last, I'd encourage you, ask a wise leader at church to help you see the layers with greater clarity. That was actually one of the things that dislodged my inability to, to see my own suffering. I needed, to, I needed to talk to a mentor that could see me, whoever I was, and, and actually hold a mirror up to me and say, I don't know if you see this, but this is what you're doing. And uh, first of all, I don't like that. That's really uncomfortable. If people actually tell you what you really like, you're like, yeah, I don't want to know that. But it's pretty helpful. If you want to get out of the trouble, ask a wise leader at church to help you see these layers. Where am I off track? So this is, honestly, if you've endured suffering, this is, I, I've only just scratched the surface. And in and, and the deep pain that many of you probably have carried into the room today, I'm sure I have not even addressed like, the, the depth of some of the pain that you carried. I do know that God is very good. He truly is a good father. And he's worthy of our trust. And there's more. If, if, you, if you still struggle, begin, begin your journey towards him, learning more about what he's going to show you. Next week, we're going to do another question, another top question that people tend to ask. We're going to answer the question, why doesn't God answer my prayers? I've been praying, and there's no answer. It's not the answer I want, or I'm, I'm waiting still. Why does that happen? God says, you know, he'll answer. Why doesn't he answer? So we'll, we'll look at that next week. I hope this has been helpful. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that really helps us make sense out of what we're walking through. I pray that you'd give the clarity and the hope that we need to trust you, to put our full weight on you, Lord Jesus, that we would put our hope completely on the grace that you'll bring to us for those that follow you. I pray that you give additional spiritual wisdom and understanding to those that are seeking. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.